in an article towards a theological anthropology professor, Laura Roberts, writes, it means in ourselves and who we are and what we do and the way we do it, we should reflect God. We should reflect who God is. We humans uniquely were made to do this and to be this. Another professor writes, the nature of humanity derives from the the human's family's relatedness to God. The concept of Imago Dei then is fundamentally relational or covenantal. It takes as its ground and focus the graciousness of God's own covenantal relation with human beings and the rest of creation. Please listen to this. All image bearers are relational and diverse creatures. We're relational because of the relationship that exists within the Trinity. And we're diverse because of the diversity that exists within the Trinity as well. All of us, all of you, are created to be finite reflections of an infinite Trinitarian God who created you in his own image and likeness. The Imago Dei is part of the story of us all. It's created good. It even remains good, even though it falls under the curse of sin because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. You see, the fall of the Imago Dei is also part of the story of us all. You cannot tell the story of the human race and overlook Genesis 3. It's part of your story. It's part of your history. The fall of the Imago Dei, it shatters humanity's relationship with God with other people, with self, even with the rest of creation. It shatters all those relationships. Look again with me in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 8. I know West already read it, but I'm going to read it again. Here's the word of the Lord. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, we are always in desperate need of your power and of your presence and of your assurance, of your comfort. 
We are always in desperate need of you to lead us into all truth. You live in you live inside of us as believers. And I pray for those who are here, people that are here and those that are watching, if they are know Christ, if they have faith in Christ, I pray that you will minister to them today through the word that is preached. I pray for those who are here and those who are watching, if they don't know you today, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will draw them into the kingdom today, that they will see their need for a merciful Savior, that they will know that they don't have to fix themselves before they can come before the cross. They come to the cross to be fixed. Holy Spirit, preaching has no power apart from you. Preacher doesn't change lives apart from you. You, Holy Spirit, you have to take these words and and apply it to our minds and to our hearts. So, Holy Spirit, will you please move? Holy Spirit, will you please comfort? Holy Spirit, will you please convict? Holy Spirit, will you please lead some to repentance of faith? Holy Spirit, move. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. How many of you have ever played with dominoes? I'm not talking about the game. I'm talking about setting dominoes up in a line, arranging them, placing them, and then knocking them down. It starts with knocking down just one domino. And what happens? What happens when you knock down just one of the dominoes? That all the dominoes will follow. You see, God's works of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 is him setting up his dominoes. For six days, he lines them up orderly. He arranges them intentionally. He places each domino properly, on purpose and for a purpose. And then on the seventh day, after he finishes his work, he he declares that his domino creation is good and it's very good. But then something happens. One domino falls. Igniting a chain reaction that leads to all the dominoes falling. The falling dominoes in creation means that the mean that the negative consequences of the fall extends far beyond Adam and Eve. Amen, Pastor. The consequences are not individualistic. The fall, listen to this, the fall negatively impacts all of creation. The whole human race, the whole animal kingdom, the whole plant kingdom, and even the environment is negatively impacted by the fall. The fall brings into God's good creation sin, chaos, corruption, death, decay, thorns, weeds, suffering, waste, pollution, sickness, pain, disease, mental illness, abuse, addictions, systemic injustice, and racism. Do I need to continue? Do I need to continue? You want to know what's wrong with the world? Go read Genesis 3. It'll tell you. You just don't want to believe it. Romans 8, 
19 through 22 says, The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage of corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. But what does that mean, Pastor? The animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the environment are all negatively impacted by the fall. They're under the curse of sin. But do you believe it? You think when God created the world, he created it that earthquakes will come? All that is the creation groaning for its own deliverance. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Question 16 of the Shorter Catechism asks, Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? What do you think? Did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? The short answer is yes. The long answer is this. The covenant made, the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his future generations, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. The message Bible puts it this way. You know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma. We're in first sin, then death. No one is exempt from sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God and everyone and everything. Human beings are now born into a state of sin and misery because of our first parent's choice. I know what some of you are saying. Well, that's not fair. I didn't eat the fruit. Why must I suffer the consequences for their sin, for their choice? I empathize with you. I sometimes feel the same way. I sometimes ask myself the same question, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. It is what it is. All image bearers are born into a state of sin and misery, even if some of y'all don't accept it or believe it. You're in it. You're in it. The image of God in us is now under the curse of sin. The image is, is marred and broken and shattered. The fall of the Imago Dei, it shatters humanity's relationship with God, with other people, with self, and even the rest of creation. Image bearers are separated from God in need of a mediator now. And we know who that mediator is. That's Jesus. All people will now experience good and evil. Evil. Now, that means what? You're going to suffer. You're going to get sick. Some of you will experience racism and discrimination. All of us will now feel shame and guilt personally. We're all naked and ashamed, trying to cover it with our own man-made fig leaves. Where's your fig leaf? 
What are you covering yourself with? What, what is it? Is it your success? Addictions? Pornography? Substance abuse? Relations, unhealthy relationships? The approval of man? The approval of your parents? Like, what is it for you? What are your fig leaves? And even as Christian, even if you've been a Christian for years, you still got fig leaves. It's called idolatry. What is it? We hide from the Lord God and other people because of sin, fear, shame, and unbelief. Honestly, how many people in your life really know you? The real you? Many of them don't. Your natural bent to hide comes from the fall. It's a trait that you inherited from Adam and Eve. And some of you are in your hiding place right now, even though you're here and even though you're watching the service, you're still hiding. And the Lord God comes looking for you. He comes asking one question. Where are you? Where are you? It's the same question and action we see from him in Genesis 3. He enters the garden walking. Notice that. No, no, it doesn't say he comes sprinting. It doesn't say he comes like a defensive end chasing down a quarterback. He comes like a good father who knows what his kids have done. He doesn't enter the garden clueless. Please know that. He knows what has happened. And one theologian puts it this way. He says, God comes into the garden as one who is still willing to be familiar with him. He comes walking, not running, not riding upon the wings of the wind. He comes to relate to them. So he enters the garden. And what does he see? Does he see his kids? No. He doesn't see Adam and Eve. So then he asks the question that echoes throughout the garden. Where are you? The pronoun you in verse 9 is singular. The question isn't where are y'all, Adam and Eve. The question is where are you? It's a direct question to the man, to the husband, to Adam who, who, who is fully responsible for, for what has happened under, in the garden under his leadership and watch. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. And, the, and, the, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord amongst the, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Adam, where are you? Let's say for a moment a person who has some authority over you calls you like God calls Adam. The person can be a boss, a, a parent, a supervisor, a teacher, or, or a coach. And now, now, what do you think is being implied when the person calls you like this? What do you think? The call implies that the person wants you to come to him or her. To come to him or her. 
You see, God summons Adam with this call. He's, he, he, he isn't looking for Adam to simply answer the question from a distance. He wants Adam to come out of hiding, to come over to him, and to answer the question. He's given Adam a chance to come clean, to take responsibility. Another pastor says, God came asking questions, not because he needs answers, but because he's trying to draw Adam out, trying to draw him out. And God questions to him in verse 9 shows the very marks of grace as God gently attempts to draw Adam into an awareness of the magnitude of what he has done. Do y'all think Adam comes out of hiding, walks over to the Lord, and then answers the question? Or do you or do he or does he simply poke his head around the tree and answers the question from a safe, hidden distance? What do you think? Remember why he's hiding. Put yourself in a situation. If you, you ran because you're afraid. Even if the person call you, are you still going to come out? I think this brother answers the question from his hiding place based on his answer. Pay attention to the pronouns he uses. Pay attention to what he doesn't say in his answer. His answer reveals the, the current state of his relationship with the Lord God. It's shattered and it, it's broken. For the fall of the Imago Day, it shatters humanity's relationship with God. It does and it has. Look at, look at his answer in verse 10. He says to the Lord, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I heard, I'm afraid, I'm naked, I hid myself. I, me, and my are his answers. He's man-centered, self-centered now, self-sufficient, self-reliant now, self-protective now, self-preserving now. Sin is really independence from our creator. Adam isn't even addressing God to his face. He's too ashamed and too fearful to do so, too naked, even though he has fig leaves on. So is he really completely naked? He still has a covering, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Adam doesn't even acknowledge his disobedience and rebellion. Doesn't even acknowledge it. He speaks to the Lord God as if he hasn't done anything wrong. Oh, well, what had happened was I heard you in the garden and and your presence scared me because I didn't want you to see me naked. And so I ran and hid. I did the logical thing, Lord. I hid. How is your day? Sounds familiar? It's human nature not to take responsibility for our actions and choices and decisions. We get that from our first dad. Adam's, in response to Adam's excuse, the Lord God asked him two more direct questions to draw Adam out. The Lord, again, has been a gentle father with Adam. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't guilt him. He doesn't even condemn him, condemn him at that point. doesn't belittle him. But he does interrogate him with these two questions. Look at verse 11. The Lord God said to Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
what Adam does next is something humanity still does when we're calling our sin. He and we, we shift the blame forward. Or we don't pay it forward. We shift the blame forward. It's always somebody else's fault. Adam placed the blame on God and Eve. Eve places the blame on the serpent. Neither of them own up to their role in what has happened in the garden. Look at verse 12. The man says, the woman, they don't even acknowledge her as his wife. The woman whom you gave to be with me, meaning it's really your fault, God. She gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. You see that. Do you see what he's doing? Shifting the blame. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The fall of the Imago day has really messed up image bearers' relationship with the Creator. And if you don't know Christ, your relationship with him is messed up and broken. In Genesis 3, we see that paradise is lost. Innocence is gone. It's gone. The dominoes have fallen. And so the world now lives east of Eden. And every person that has ever lived now has been living their life trying to get back. Because in us still is the image of God. In us is still a a glimpse of of what we could have been. And so all of our search for significance and, and value is really a cry for Eden. It's a cry for what was lost. You're crying for God and you don't even know it. Because there's that God void in your heart. It's the Imago Day crying out because it remembers. And so you're on a search to replace, to fill that gap, to fill that empty place. Have you filled it yet? Have you filled it yet? What Adam and Eve have have done, now they're going to try to find their value and dignity and self-worth in anything but God. They turn to themselves, either through sexuality or to to their own gender. They turn to power, to privilege, whatever it is, to to tell them, I'm somebody. Because everybody want to know that there's somebody. So everything that we do in life is trying to convince ourselves that I'm important. So I'm here to tell you, you're already important. Because you're created in the image of God. You didn't evolve from an ape. Because if you evolved from an ape, then you're not important. Really? Are you really important then? We are important because of the image of God in us. And you don't have to beg for value, dignity, and self-worth. You already got it. You just don't know it. Just by being human, you have it. Because you're created in the image and likeness of God. The image is still there. 
The image is still there, even though it's broken and shattered. It is still there. It is still good, even though it's under the curse of sin. It's still good. I talked to a friend of mine this week, and we're talking about um, common grace. What would the world be like if God did not extend common grace? It'd be a lot worse than it is. So because of common grace, that lets you know that even though we are in rebellion against God, he still cares. Because the world is not as sinful and broken as it can be. Lily Havish is a professional domino artist who builds and designs Domino setups and chain reactions on YouTube and for commercial projects. She says, domino art is a form of creative self-expression in which dominoes are set up and knocked down to create appealing visual effects, that which can include patterns and, and artistic designs and images and text and structures and other chain reactions. Just as a painter uses a palette, brush, tubes of paint, the domino artist uses different colored dominoes and other objects to create their art. Guess what appealing visual effect is created after God's domino creation falls? What do you think? It's congregation participation time. What does it create? When the dominoes fall, the cross. The cross. Because even when the dominoes fell, he already knew how he was going to fix it. And this series is heading to Jesus. Because you got to see how jacked up things is so you can appreciate Jesus more when he comes. Because when he comes, he restores and redeems the Imago Day. And again, that is where we're headed. But first, we have to deal with the tragedy, the, the chaos, the shatteredness, and the brokenness. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that even though our first parents failed, you already had a plan. I thank you that you you were not you, you didn't build the airplane as you were flying it. That's what we do. I thank you that this is not plan B. This was always a plan. I thank you, Lord, that you made a way to deal with our parents' decisions by sending the second Adam who came and made all things right. And so I pray blessings over the village church. I pray blessings over those who are tuning in. I continue to pray uh, for pray blessings and healing into the sufferings of the world, the sufferings in our country. I pray for wisdom for our leaders. I pray for wisdom for the first responders, those that are on the front lines of, of the virus. And, God, I pray for healing. I pray for a cure. Help your people to expect you to move. 
We sometimes pray and we don't even expect you to move. So help our unbelief. Help us to walk and live in hope. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.